The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about the NSA's infiltration of video games. And here we are sitting on the campus of the University of California, Irvine. And I would venture to imagine that many, many of the students here are playing these video games and have no idea about the spying that's going on. And this was just fascinating. So the two attorneys who wrote this article that I saw are going to come to us from L.A., and they are great experts. Let me tell you about each of them, and you're not going to believe what they have to tell us today. First, let me introduce you to Nathan Lowenstein, who is a founding partner of Goldberg, Lowenstein, and Weatherwax, LLP. He has extensive experience in complex litigation in federal and state courts and in international arbitrations. And he is a veteran of multiple trials and his focus on, in his practices on intellectual property, litigation, pre-litigation counseling, commercial disputes, and election laws. And he is the founder of GLW's Video Game Practice Group. And he's been selected as a rising star lawyer and a 2014 super lawyer in Southern California by the Los Angeles Magazine. And he happens to be one of the youngest attorneys to be selected for this honor. And along with him, we have another expert, Catherine Russo, who is the Deputy General Counsel and a senior attorney in the Los Angeles office of Goldberg, Lowenstein, and Weatherwax, LLP. She is a certified information privacy pers- professional in the United States in the private sector, privacy laws, and regulations. She's a CIPP also. And she focuses her practice on compliance, governance, and litigation with particular attention to cutting-edge privacy issues. And she advises emerging companies on privacy and data security, compliance policies, and procedures. So I am so thrilled to have you both join us from L.A. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having us. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's great that you joined us, especially both of you, I know, in your busy practice. So let's start out with Nathan. Nathan, why don't you tell us about what the NSA is doing in connection with collecting information in video games? So, so this is a program that started in uh, 2008, and uh, we learned about it from uh, Edward Snowden. The, uh, uh, the very famous and very controversial uh, former NSA contractor who, who leaked 
you know, thousands and thousands of confidential documents. And uh, uh, one of them was this uh, 80-page report uh, from the NSA about their plan to uh, um, have undercover spies working in video games. In other words, you'd have NSA agents creating characters and conducting surveillance in some of the most popular video games, including uh, World of Warcraft, one of the very biggest video games in the world. And this is perhaps owing to the 2008 date of the document, but Second Life, which was a very, very popular game at the time and, and still is to perhaps a lesser extent. And uh, what the NSA uh, report says is that they believe video games uh, are a very likely target to be uh, used by terrorists because it provides them with the means to communicate with one another and to recruit uh, potential terrorists to, to uh, join their cells and the like, and it's potentially a way for them to uh, transfer uh, money without being monitored to the same degree. And so that's uh, the NSA's uh, suspicion as to why they want to be uh, involved in this. And so what the NSA has been uh, planned to do, and uh, it's been widely reported has been doing, is uh, actually putting their own agents to pose as players in the games and to you know, join groups to, to conduct surveillance, uh, to um, uh, have counter-propaganda measures, in other words, to try to uh, get people more friendly to our interests, to uh, recruit uh, confidential informants. So a wide variety of activities. And uh, the extent of it is really quite amazing. Uh, one of the uh, tidbits that has come out was the NSA actually had to have a deconfliction group, uh, which meant that there, there would be instances where there were so many spies they might actually run into each other and might undermine each other's efforts unwittingly. And so they actually had to have a deconfliction group to coordinate their various activities and to make sure they didn't run into those sorts of issues. I bet all these guys were having so much fun on these video games. You know, they, <laughs> they all wanted to be spies for the video games. This is just amazing. So what are your thoughts regarding the usefulness of collecting all that information from the video games and the virtual worlds? Is you think it's really going to be useful to, to catch all these, to catch terrorists? Well, well, as a taxpayer, I, I do have some questions about that, let's say. But uh, it, more seriously, and, I, and I, I do have a little bit of hesitancy to speak to this because I'm an attorney and I'm not, um, you know, I'm not a securities expert. I'm not uh, an expert in terrorism. But, but there really are very serious questions raised by the document. So you know, obviously there's been a very uh, significant effort on the NSA's part that's gone on for many years. But when you read the report, there was no actual evidence that any terrorists were using video games for any nefarious purposes. Uh, and so you have the NSA launching an enormous uh, uh, surveillance effort into this sphere without any solid evidence that's actually being used for those types of purposes. And, uh, and, and there's certainly no indication that any of these efforts have stopped or prevented or otherwise deterred any uh, terrorist activities. And so, you know, perhaps there's something I'm missing. Perhaps there's something about uh, preventing terrorist activities that I don't understand. But this does really seem like a canary in the coal mine, yes. in that you have such an enormous intrusion into this area where no ordinary citizen uh, or person would think the NSA has any business uh, in conducting its activities. And to make matters worse, there's no evidence whatsoever, it appears, at least that, that has been released publicly, 
that any of these efforts have actually done anything to prevent terrorism. Right. And in your article, if I remember correctly, you said that the um, the video game companies didn't even get any FISA letters or anything asking them if they could do this, you know, or, or telling them that they had to comply. Is that correct? Did I read that correctly? Uh, Yes, that's correct. That's what the video game companies have said publicly, and I'm, I'm not aware of any information to the contrary. So this would have been spying even with the video game companies not even knowing this, that, that, this is, that they're collecting all this information on all these people who are playing video games, right? That's correct, and it's certainly not appreciated by the video game companies, I'm sure, who uh, you can imagine there being lawsuits based upon this type of activity and these intrusions and it could have a chilling effect upon their customers, and it just, it, 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 it must be weird if you're a, a, a gamer, and you're playing these types of video games, and you might be, you know, hobnobbing with an NSA agent. Yeah. It's just a very odd thing, and the companies were, to my understanding, uh, totally blindsided by it. Wow, and I just really wonder how many people who play those games even are aware of this now. I mean, I, you know, I mean, everybody's been reading about the NSA spying, from Snowden, but I somehow missed that until I saw your article. <laughs> so it's, uh, I, I really wonder how many kids really know that this is going on. Well, well, some people have been tracking this, and there has been some joking about it in, in chat rooms, so I think it has caught on a little bit. But uh, my sense is most people think it's pretty preposterous because you know anyone who's playing these games would, would, would realize, I think, that there's, there's nothing to do with terrorism at least in, in the overwhelming majority of instances of the game being played. So I think it's, it's become a topic of real ridicule, uh, both in the games and I think uh, on the Colbert Report and elsewhere. So uh, yeah. the NSA really has a little bit of egg on its face. Yeah, and I'm but. sure it cost us a lot of money for that, too, for them to oh, play right. all these games. I'm sure uh, <laughs> this was not a very uh, cheap uh, uh, surveillance program. Especially if they had so many that they had to, um, you know, make sure that they weren't... Uh, interfering with each other's spying. <laughs> right, right. And if, if they're doing this in video games, you do wonder what the extent of other programs might be. I mean, I think this is an area where very few people would have thought this is you know, something that the NSA is doing. And so if they're doing it in video games, who knows what else they might be doing. Yeah. Yeah, maybe in some of the dating sites, too. Mm. <laughs> Catherine. So let's talk about what other kinds of information um, and types of information that the NSA is collecting. Well, in addition to collecting data in video games and virtual environments, the NSA is collecting a variety of types of information from various sources. For example, the NSA, it came out that the NSA since at least 2006 has been collecting the telephone metadata of all Americans and this has been in the news and addressed um, by President Obama. And if people don't know what metadata is, metadata can contain phone numbers, the time and duration of a phone call, the location of a caller and the recipient, which cellular tower was used, and even what kind of phone is being used. So it tells a lot of information for each individual in the U.S. that's using a, a telephone. The government's also collecting information um, from text messages. Uh, a report came out that almost 200 million text messages daily around the globe mm. have been included. Have been um, that includes location data, 
up your contacts. It can include financial transaction information, your travel plans. Hmm. The government also is collecting email information and instant messaging information, the contact list um, from personal emails. And uh, there's other sources include the servers of U.S. Internet companies, um, including video chat, photographs, documents, connection logs to track foreign targets. And there were even reports that the government infiltrated uh, the big Internet companies through their fiber optic cables mm. that connect the data from their different data centers around the world. And data had been passing through those cables unencrypted before this came to light, and that's that's been remedied by some companies now, so they've protected that data through encryption. But there's a lot of different sources and a lot of different types of information that the NSA is collecting here in the U.S. and from Americans and globally. Yeah, it's, uh, it's for me, it's, it's quite scary. But what about people who say, oh, I have nothing to hide. What do I worry about? What do you say to them, Catherine? Well, a lot of people, um, you know, think they don't have anything to hide, and they probably don't. But I still think that, you know, privacy, I'm one of the believers that privacy is not dead, and there is something that we should be worried about. And, uh, for example, geolocation data. So geolocation data is collected as some of this metadata from your telephone. And it produces a GPS fingerprint that can easily be used to identify who you are. Um, it's also some people refer to it as human mobility data, and it's very, very unique. So you just need a very little of it to actually identify an individual. Right. So even though the government's saying, oh, we're just collecting metadata, we don't know who you are, it's actually not true, just a small step, and you can figure out who the person is. So, for example, the re- some researchers at MIT have shown that they could identify an individual from just four data points, yeah. And with just two data points, they could identify about 50% of the users. So it's, uh, geolocation data is, is very individualized, and people don't realize that, how you move around in your daily life. Mm-hmm. And when you take geolocation data together with all this other data that is collected, it can paint a very detailed picture of a person's life. It can include, you know, real, it, it can reveal information about you that you think is very private, your religion, maybe your health issues or, mm. you know, sexual orientation that you have. Yeah. And so <clears throat> these are very private things that you don't want the government to be uh, collecting about you and you would think would be protected. Right. And just one more example of a company, this data is just <clears throat> growing and growing, the types of information that can be collected. So I read about a company that's building products that can track where you are all the time when you go to the gym, where you go out where you shop just based on your Wi-Fi signal in your phone. So you don't even have mm. to be making a phone call. It's just that your phone is on and searching for a Wi-Fi. Right. So it's going to keep growing, growing the amount of information that's collected. And, um, you know, the other issue is this data can just be totally misleading. You could have contacts from people that you haven't contacted in many years, and you could right. be associated with someone that maybe is associated with something bad, but you're no longer associated with them and really have nothing to do with them. So even if you have nothing to hide, you could still be connected to others fairly easily that give a misleading impression. Exactly. So let's talk about the recent legal actions regarding the NSA's collection of information. Catherine, can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. 
There have been two major rulings uh, December of 2013 that I think are interesting to talk about, um, and this has to do with the NSA's collection of telephone med- metadata of a... And um, the first was a case in uh, the District of Columbia, and a federal district court um, judge ruled that the NSA's bulk collection of telephone metadata likely violated the Fourth Amendment. Right. And he uh, granted a preliminary injunction and barred the government from collecting these types of records, but he uh, stayed the order in the interest of national security since it's such a huge issue. And uh, this has been appealed. Right. And then the second case, which re- reached the exact opposite result, was in the Southern District of New York, and that was this ACLU case uh, versus Clapper. And in that case, the judge ruled that the NSA's bulk telephone metadata program was legal. And that case has also been appealed. So now we have two different cases that contradict each other, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, um, how this conflict is resolved in the courts as well as further changes in legislation um, and it will raise a whole host of broader issues. Right. And, I mean, basically we're talking about the Fourth Amendment, aren't we? Exactly. And, exactly. and so maybe you can just share a little bit about that with my, uh, with my audience, just to remind them what the Fourth Amendment ensures for us. Okay, so, you know, the question in these cases is whether you have a reasonable expectation of privacy in your communications and... In the past, the government has been able to collect something called a pen register. They were allowed to go in without a warrant and see which telephone number someone had called because it fell under this third-party doctrine where you've shared this information with a third party. That's your telecommunications company. So you don't have an expectation of privacy to that data. Now, that made sense at the time the balance of the powers of the interest of security versus the interest of a personal person privacy interest. Mm-hmm. And some have questioned now, this is very different because telephone metadata, as we just discussed, can reveal so much about you. And it's not just a list of numbers anymore. It goes to the core of who you are and things that you believe that can be discovered about you from this data and where you go every day and, and um so there's a question about the balance between whether obtaining this data without, you know, a, warrant. a higher standard or a yeah, warrant uh-huh. is considered an, uh, an unconstitutional search under the Fourth Amendment. Even though you've disclosed, technically this information is disclosed to a third party, your telecommunications um, you know, provider, it, the balance seems to be different than it was back in the 1970s. So I think there's a real question now as whether you're recording, you know, long-term recording and aggregation of individuals' communication data could constitute a search under the Fourth Amendment. And uh, you maybe there should be more required a warrant to for the government to get the information or just a higher standard. Yes. So I think that is a big question that's going to be discussed in these two cases. Exactly. And the whole issue of the FISA court and and 
whether there should be, you know, a balance in terms of even bringing issues to the FISA court of whether you should even be able to get a warrant. But in these cases, there aren't even any, there wasn't any warrant issued. There was never even any question. They just went in and got it without any, any probable cause to think that any of these people had done anything. So that's that's correct. So basically um, in the interest of national security, the NSA said they just needed to collect all Americans telephone metadata and store it. And every three months, they would have this approved um, by the FISA court. But there's no, you know, direct evidence for each individual person. It's just overall, we need to aggregate everyone's information because in case something happens, then we can look back and see who this person was connected with. And there's a lot of problems with yeah. that. It's not even prevention. <laughs> it's not for prevention. It's it's for, you know, we discover a new interest and we go back and we search all these records of everybody that we we've been collecting. Mm. It's, it's, it's like, uh, like they say, big brother, right? What has been the reaction of American companies since you deal with them, Nathan? Um, what have been, you know, I've been reading about uh, Microsoft and Facebook and all these companies. What has been your experience about the reaction of the American companies with regards to the collection of this information from their own websites and and, and their own uh, facilities and, and uh, you know, their stuff? Oh, I think they've, as you can imagine, they haven't been pleased with what the, uh, the government and the NSA in particular have been doing, and they've been very vocal about it. So uh, many of the, the biggest companies in the world, including uh, Apple and Facebook and Google, uh, Microsoft uh, and many, many others, they uh, wrote a letter to uh, President Obama and uh, the Congress pushing for uh, global government surveillance reform. And as you can imagine, this creates all sorts of questions about the security of people's data and, and communications uh, when so much of our lives uh, is wrapped up with the, the products and services that these companies provide. And unbeknownst to most of their users, the NSA and the government has been uh, uh, surreptitiously obtaining data um, about uh, what people are doing and their activities on these websites. And so it's, it's a very significant problem for them, and uh, one that's compounded because it's not just the United States that they have to deal with. It's, these are uh, global uh, companies, and they have to deal with the laws and regulations of you know, hundreds of com- uh, countries around the world in those countries. And so it's an enormous quagmire when you have uh, the United States uh, intruding upon the data that they collect. And, you know, that may be in clear conflict with the laws of other jurisdictions. And Especially and the privacy laws. Much stronger yeah. privacy protections in the United States. Exactly, exactly. So we recently had President Obama give us the NSA's collection of information, and and he, uh, I, I don't think he made those companies any happier. Catherine, you want to talk about uh, what Obama had said about the NSA spying? Well, you're you're one hundred percent correct. There are things that President Obama addressed, and then there are things that he did not address. And one of the things he didn't address was his collection of data through these fiber optic cables and going around, you know, through the back door for these companies, which they really wanted him to say something about, and he left that um, issue out of his speech. A few of the key takeaways from uh, his recent speech was that, first, 
regarding the collection of Americans' telephone metadata, he said that the government will continue to collect phone records, but the government will just collect less of them. <laughs> so he placed some limits on um, the program. He speaks about hops away from a target phone number. So in the past, you could go three hops from a phone number. So it's the target phone number and then who they've called, who that person's called, and then another another um, you know hop away after that, which basically included all Americans. So now it's just two hops instead of three hops. Uh, he also left it to the Attorney General, Eric Holder, and the Director of the National Intelligence, uh, Mr. Clapper, to decide where such records will be stored. So we will hear about that in the next three months. Um, some say maybe a third party will store this data, and some say he might have the telecom companies store the data. The telecom companies are not happy about that. They do not want to store this data. And I you know, the Patriot Act expires in 2015, so I think the real battle will be fought then about a lot of these issues. Um, also, the president ordered restrictions on the spying of close U.S. allies and friends. Heads of states are now off limits, so that was something to address concerns of Germany, for example, of, of spying on the heads of the states of our right. friends. Right, And he said that there would be, he called for a public, uh, a panel of public advocates in cases handled by the FISA court, but it's really unclear how effective these advocates could be. Um, let me see. He also did not change the process of issuing national security letters, and so I think that's an issue that Congress will have to address. And one other recognition was to remove the power from the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court to appoint the FISA court judges and he did not take that recommendation, so he left that so as not to be seen interfering with, you know, the courts. Hmm. So what kind of legislation um, is there out there right now in response to the NSA collection of this information? Is there some new stuff on the Hill that people have been proposing as a, a response? Yes, there is uh, the USA Freedom Act, which is a bipartisan piece of legislation uh, introduced in the Senate and the House. And its stated purpose is to rein in the dragnet collection of data by the National Security Agency and other government agencies to increase transparency of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court uh, to provide businesses the ability to release information regarding FISA requests, which is something that many of these companies have asked for release this much information from this many people so they feel that it's not just wholesale, they're giving away people's information. Right. The other purpose is to create an independent advocate to argue cases before that uh, FISA court. Yeah, because right now, yeah, right now, uh, the the FISA court only hears from one side, the government side. They don't hear from the privacy side. So that that seems to me that you know most courts were used to having you know someone for the defendant and the and the prosecution or the you know the petitioner and the respondent or whatever and we don't have that double edge uh, presentation now here. Correct, correct. So that's something that I think that we will see. Although a lot of people are skeptical about how effective placing an advocate in, they might be very limited in what they can do. Right. Well, we're time, but I wanted, Nathan, I just wanted to ask you, we have about a couple of minutes here, you know, how do you see this issue evolving in the future, Nathan? 
Uh, well, it, it's going to be an enormous issue uh, that's going to be have to be dealt with in a variety of different ways. Uh, you're going to see, just as Katie said, you're going to see a ton of action in Congress and in the federal agencies grappling with with how to deal with these competing pressures to, on the one hand, protect us from terrorism, and on the other hand, uh, protect uh, uh, unwarranted and undue intrusions into our privacy. And, and it, these battles will rage on in the courts for years to come, where the courts are going to be grappling with uh, precedents that arose in the 1970s in a, a very different world, both in terms of the threats that we face and also in terms of the uh, ease of, of collecting data. And then uh, I think unless something changes with Snowden, we're going to continue to see drips and traps coming out from him with new disclosures that will, I think, uh, affect the uh, uh, complexion of this uh, debate. Well, terrific. I, I thank you so much. And we're going to have to have you guys back again to tell us. Because, uh, as you said, this is not going away. There's going to be all sorts of revelations and new legislation and all sorts of new things. So we appreciate you so much, Nathan Lowenstein and Catherine Russo. You're both wonderful. Why don't you just, uh, Nathan, why don't you just give your website and then it's time for us to go. Well, thank you for having us on the show. It was it was our pleasure. We'd love to be back. And uh, our firm is Goldberg, Lowenstein, and Weatherwax, and our website is www.glwllp.com. Okay, great. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning and visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.